the Eighth Circuit Network. We make things. Put them in your brain. Hello, funky listeners, and welcome to yet another episode. Hello, funky listeners. <laughs> Hello. Hello, funky listeners, and welcome to yet another episode of your favorite podcast, Funk Radio. This is your host, Kyle. And this is your host, Peter. So today, Peter had the genius idea of coming up with a episode surrounding Beatles covers that were performed by various funk and soul artists. And in researching different artists that perform Beatles covers, we found that there was a crap load of them. Yeah. So, basically, this is going to be the first of a three-part installment of Beatles covers. Peter can, can explain that a little bit more. Yeah, so I went on to whosample.com, which is actually really useful. If you want to figure out what a, who, what a song sampled by another one, or artists that covered different songs, it's actually really cool. And I went to Beatles, and I went to covers, and they were literally like, 50 or 60 pages uh, of artists. So I had to weed through all of that and find ones that were by artists that are relevant to this show. Hmm. And even then there was a whole lot, but I think I narrowed it down to probably the best ones that we can talk about. And that's still three episodes worth of content. So definitely, um, I think it kind of goes without saying that the Beals were extremely influential in the music scene. I mean, it's it's crazy because you just realize how big the Beatles were and how many other musicians, even back in the 60s when they were first popular, wanted to cover them to base. I don't know. I mean, some of it was probably just trying to leech off the success. Some of it was like they actually had an appreciation for the music. Mm-hmm. But regardless, there are a lot and we want to play a bunch of them. So yeah. um, without further ado, I guess we'll get into our first song. The co- a cover of A Hard Day's Night by Otis Redding. Now, this is one of the one of the few that I actually knew of before we did research, as in I've heard it many times before, and I really like this version. Um, obviously, for many of the for those of you that don't know, and if you don't, that's sad. <laughs> this is one of the Beatles' most famous songs because it was made for their film and an album of the same name, which was released in 1964. Uh, Redding's pretty, version. It was a pretty good movie. Like, yeah, how was the movie? Because I never actually saw it. Oh, uh, it was pretty good. It was kind of documentary-ish in that it kind of just follows them around as they're touring and they're just having a lot of fun fooling around almost like kids that's fun. it was kind of significant for its time i think in the way that, that it did that so yeah it's it's i think it's worth watching did you ever see the animated yellow submarine i've seen bits of it yeah yeah i've seen bits too that looks much more scary <laughs> like I mean, obviously they did acid or something crazy when they when they did the album, but they probably yeah. did more. They no, they gave they gave their acid to the animators. There you had go. them animate on acid. <laughs> they could animate really fast. Um, you you heard about that experiment in the '60s during Vietnam where they actually like were thinking were trying to use acid as like a biochemical weapon, <laughs> and so they were testing like the effects of acid on soldiers and like there's like film reels of like soldiers like trying to catch imaginary birds and like climbing up trees and stuff (laughs) it's like awesome you you guys should look that up because i love history i love the 60s because it was insane so yeah hard day's night awesome song apparently awesome movie i need to watch it (laughs) um but redding's version otis redding's version uh was actually recorded two years later in 1966 at a live performance at the whiskey a go-go Oh my gosh, that's awesome, because I have been there. Um, and that's in L.A.? Yep. Yeah. I, I went there. They weren't playing Otis Redding. It was a full of a bunch of screamo bands, like Animosity and stuff, and mm. huge mosh pit. But it was fun, because it's a huge, <laughs> hugely famous club. 
That's cool. Um, but these recordings actually weren't released until 1982, which was about, what, 16 years later? Uh, bad at math. Something like that. But, and after a mix-up of song rights between Atlantic and Stax, uh, they had to be re-released in 1993. Yeah, I think what had happened is that Atlantic released the album with, with these live recordings, but then a few years later, it was realized that those recordings were actually part of a collection that was owned by Stax Records. So they actually released it um, without having the rights to it, without even knowing. So by accident, so then it was re-released in 93 oh. by Stax. I believe that's what happened. Was it, isn't Stax like a satellite of Atlantic? I thought they were both uh, Philly. Or are they like... I don't know. Yeah, uh, I, don't I think know. they're separate. Oh, no, they might... Yeah, I think they're related somehow. Okay. I don't, I don't know. I just know they're both in Philly, and I, I know Atlantic... I thought Stax was, was like a break-off from Atlantic or something, but... Uh, they might have been, yeah. Um, that's my misinformation of the day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there will be more as we keep going. Oh, no doubt. <laughs> Without further ado, let's listen to Otis Redding's cover of A Hard Day's Night by The Beatles but also by Otis Redding, because <laughs> he covered the Beatles. <laughs> Good joke. <laughs> much Otis Redding, he definitely put his uh, his personal style, I guess, in the song. Mm-hmm. I guess this goes back to the whole, like, uh, live versus recorded in studio, too, because mm-hmm. it's got a little bit more of that, like, live, echoey sound to it, because it was recorded at, at the Whiskey of Go-Go. It's, right. not a, it's, it's not a big venue at all. It's actually really tiny. Mm. So it didn't have, it doesn't have the amphitheater sound, but you can still tell it's, like, recorded in a large room as opposed to, like, a tiny booth. Is it indoor or outdoor? It's indoor. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's like this little like bar thing like in a little strip part right in hollywood and it's like one of the most famous music venues in the country nice. pretty crazy i got a shirt somewhere i don't know if it still fits me but i bought a shirt <laughs> okay uh what do we got ne- next on our roster mr peter coming up next we have a song called and i love her obviously by the beatles um this one we have cover by bobby womack who we have talked about several times before yeah um this song just like the one we just talked about, also comes from the album A Hard Day's Night. So this cover by Bobby Womack was included on his 1972 album Understanding and recorded in Muscle Shoals, Alabama, under the United Artists label. I listened to the song just a little while ago, actually, and uh, mm-hmm. really good, definitely very Bobby Womack. I didn't know this was a Beatles song. I mean, it's it's I don't it's not one of the more famous, is it? Or am I like way off? Base? This is like probably their most famous, like one of their most famous songs ever. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Really? Never, That's fine. I have never, like, associated with this the Beatles or really even. Really? Yeah. God, I'm, that's, I'm, I'm, hmm, dumb. That's I'm dumb. Mm. No, I swear. I I mean, I kind of knew it was a Beatles song in the back of my head, but it was, wasn't one that, like, I immediately think of when you say Beatles. Hmm. So, two songs in and already two misinformations. So, let's listen to it because apparently it's the most famous song ever written by mankind. Well, I, I think they have more famous songs, but I mean. No, no, it is the most famous song ever pe- ever penned by a human brain. All right. And, and it was covered by Bobby Womack. Let's listen to it. <laughs> you saw my love, you love her too. Oh, and I just love her. It's interesting to see that 
this was on his 72 album because i mean i think this is one of their earlier songs i mean it just yeah that was in 64 so this is what eight years later and a lot of the songs that i researched i found that a lot of the time the artists would cover them like in the same year that they came out really or only like the next year I guess, like you were saying before, like piggybacking off the success. Bud Womack wasn't even really super famous until then, was he? That's a good point, actually. So this was probably still when he was like first breaking out. Mm. I don't know. That's my best guess. Good point. So yeah, that was And I Love Her by Bobby Womack. Good stuff, good stuff. That I apparently didn't know was a big deal. Wait, so you knew the song by him or you just knew it in general? No, 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 no. I... I didn't, well, actually, I didn't know he covered it at all. I uh, knew, kind of in the back of my head, I'm like, okay, yeah, that's a Beatles song. But I didn't associate it as being, like, one of their big top ten uh, hit songs. Uh, okay. You know, when I think of top ten hits, I think of Eleanor Rigby, Hard Day's Night, right. Can't Buy Me Love, that stuff. I don't, I didn't, this one just, I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, may, I might be wrong, but I don't know. Hey, you know, I learned something new. I, did, I didn't associate it this that much with the Beatles, and now I will. <laughs> we hope you do too, Funkalism. Speaking of Can't Buy Me Love, the next song we have up is that song, Can't Buy Me Love, covered by the Supremes. Uh, now, this song is also off the Hard Day's Night album, uh, which was released in 1964. But I guess the Supremes cover comes off of their album, A Bit of Liverpool, which came out the same year and features a collection of Beatles covers. So, yeah, I guess because in 64 was like when they first like just were like exploding in America. Yeah, I so, guess so. I guess the Supremes. Took, yeah, they were pretty took, quick in releasing that album. Because yeah, that was a whole it, album. Right? They were just like, hey, this guys are cool. Let's cover all their crap and release it the same year. <laughs> <laughs> encourage you guys to check out that album because obviously it has a lot of other Beatles covers by the Supremes. I actually found out it's very rare. Like, I can't really? I could, barely, I could like, almost find it nowhere. Really? Which is surprising considering. This, this might have to go on my list of records to find. Not even kidding. Yeah. I think it was actually. I was looking on Amazon. It's actually cheaper in vinyl than it is on a CD. That's weird. Which actually, is, I guess, sort of makes sense if they almost never printed it on CD. Because, I mean, originally it would be in vinyl, so if it was popular, then there would be more of them. Yeah, true. I guess. But, yeah, apparently that's a pretty rare album, hmm. which is kind of surprising to me, but I don't know. So, if any of you listeners happen to have a copy of either the vinyl or the CD version, you should hold on to it forever and ever and then sell it on eBay. Or sell, it, sell it to Kyle. Or sell it to me and make less money because I don't have enough <laughs> to afford the very expensive version. Um, or sell it on eBay and make all the monies. Either way, you can either make a, you can either make a Kyle happy or you can make yourself happy. Which one is more important to you? Tell us on Facebook.com/slash/DidYourFunk. Who do you love more, <laughs> DJ Kyle or yourself? <laughs> <laughs> oh. This is how we interact with our fans, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> And then we just say, why don't you love me? <laughs> um, well, while you ponder your love of Kyle or yourself, why don't you go ahead and listen to a clip of Can't Buy Me Love by The Supreme. That sounds pretty good. Definitely very Supremes-y sounding. Very Supreme. Very there. Uh, uh, he's got it. Because, I mean, I, I may be stretching it a bit here, but, you know, the Beatles and the Supremes back in the early 60s had that similar quartet sort of doo y slash a little bit more edgy sound. 
So I think the Supremes... Yeah, they, they, they definitely had similarities in that way. This, uh, yeah, I think the Supremes were a, were a good... I mean, obviously it was a girl version, but uh, the Supremes were a good band to cover a song like that. Yeah. As opposed to, say, I don't know, Marvin Gaye or something. Mm-hmm. I wonder Mar- if... Um... Marvin Gaye doesn't need to buy his love. He just gets it for free. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's not what I was going to say. I know. I just... <laughs> um, I was thinking because, you know, like when the Beatles made their transition to having popularity overseas into the U.S., mm-hmm. I wonder if part of that was helped by U.S. artists who caught on and covered them and did their did versions of their songs. That's a good question. Because then there would, be, there would be groups that Americans were more familiar with and if they're like, hey, I like this song, oh, it was by this other band, the Beatles. Well, well my only logic with that is usually song, even, even back in the 60s, songs are covered because of their original popularity. I mean, I guess there's always exceptions because didn't, didn't we have, we had an episode talking about how sometimes the covers were more popular than the original. But anyways, yeah. in, in instances like this, especially when it's crossing genres, yeah, usually covers are done because of the popularity of the original, so... At least in this instant, with, with the Hard Day's Night, I would assume it was more the Supremes latching on to the popularity of the original. Mm-hmm. But again, people who maybe were, you know, I, I don't want to stereotype, but African Americans in the 60s that maybe listened to the Supremes may have been introduced to, be, to the Beatles because of the Supremes, so maybe in that instance you're correct. Or the, maybe it was more approachable in that Exactly, sense. exactly. Yeah, I mean, if there's... Well, this is another point too. Is it like if there's music, if you really like the Beatles and you're like, hey, I really love these songs, but then there's other artists who you like, who also do those songs. It's a way to enjoy it in a way that sounds a little bit different, and it's by someone that you really like. Um, I guess that's the whole point of a cover. But with with some of these more than others, they really kind of uh, embellish a little bit and twist things around, rearrange it into their own style, mm. um, which I think is where it gets to be the most interesting. Yeah, yeah, I like. I mean, particularly, I like when art, when soul and R&B and, and artists and funk artists add their own flair to a song because then it doesn't just sound like a carbon copy. It almost can it can be considered a new song in some sense. Yeah. Up next, we got another another Beatles song. <laughs> no. Wow. There's there's so many of them. Up next, we got the song "Get Back," which is covered by Ike and Tina Turner. The funk rock duo covered it in their successful 1971 album "Working Together." which featured a mix of various covers as well as original songs. I noticed a lot of artists do that, either in their successful albums or otherwise, is they'll like fill their album, like if they don't have a lot of original songs, they'll fill their album with covers that they like. Especially when they're getting started. Yeah. Or if they're exactly. not that popular, because um, you know I've seen certain bands like in the 70s who never became really mainstream, mm-hmm. and a lot of the stuff they did was actually covers of other stuff. I guess it's, maybe it's just harder if you don't have the the mind to write and perform songs together. Maybe it's just easier just to crank out a few of them that already exist. Maybe. And ones that people are already familiar with, so it's easier to get them on board with your sound, perhaps. Yeah, I think I think that's probably the case. As some, like you were saying, some some new artists try to I don't know boost their own popularity by covering songs of popular artists, but then they also have their original stuff, so people pick up the album and buy it because it has a cover of their song and then that was the whole thing and they're like hey this guy has some good original stuff yeah so it's a way to i guess get albums off the shelf do we do we happen to know what album of, of the beatles get back was off of or um i don't no, know i didn't write it down okay oh it was just a single i think oh okay it wasn't necessarily part of a an album 
Okay, um, so yeah, let's listen to a little clip of Get Back, covered by Ikatina Turner. I, I like Ike and Tina Turner, but the circumstances surrounding their personal life is kind of sad. I think it got made into a movie, actually. Huh. I forgot when or who played in it. I remember seeing a movie about, like, a biopic about Ike and Tina Turner. Oh, that's Because uh, they were kind of notorious for fighting, and Ike was kind of psychotic. Hmm. So what do we got up next, Mr. Peter? Coming up next is probably one of the more um, famous soul covers of a Beatles song. Wilson Pickett's version of Hey Jude which is arguably one of the, the most popular Beatles songs of all time. So this was originally released by the Beatles in August of 1968. Paul McCartney wrote the lyrics to comfort John Lennon's son, Julian, while John and Cynthia Lennon were getting a divorce. I think it, it really helped Julian as well, like having McCartney there to, to help him because they were, they were close friends. So um, I think it was really nice of him to, to help him out and support him and then write a song. Yeah, I, I wonder, that makes me curious if McCartney was kind of, I don't want to say hateful, but kind of distrusting of Yoko Ono, because she kind of caused all that grief for Julian and John and all that. Yeah. Because I know basically anyone who's a Beatles fan absolutely hates Yoko Ono, <laughs> for various reasons. Right. Yoko Ono was bad. Oh, oh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. I saw this awesome YouTube video uh, of, a cli- of, a, of a clip of the Beatles playing with... I want to say it was James Brown. And for some reason, Yoko Ono was part of the set. And I remember James Brown was, he was doing a cover with them. I don't know. I don't remember what song. And then Yoko Ono goes up to the mic and starts doing her stupid Yoko Ono screech. And James Brown just looks over at her like, what the hell is going on? Like, what is that sound? And just gave her like the most terrified look. That's funny. Uh, and John Lennon just like was standing there just like, oh, whatever. So I remember people were commenting like, oh, he's totally whipped by her because she just completely ruined that song. If I ever find the link, I'll post it up on the funk page because it's really funny. See, um, listeners, this is why you need to like us on Facebook so you can see yeah. James Brown giving people dirty looks. We do post a lot of cool stuff on the page outside of our normal episodes. So if you guys like it, you get extra little goodies that our regular subscribers don't normally get. That's true. So like us on Facebook or we'll cry. Uh, every day, every day, we don't get an extra like. We we carve a tally into our arm. Yeah, <laughs> not really. Um, uh, anyway, so back to Hey Jude with Wilson Pickett. So he recorded this in 1968 at Fame Studios in Muscle Shoals, Alabama, which we uh, mentioned a little bit earlier with Bobby Womack. So they were fellow uh, Southern soul artists. I can dig it. Yeah. Dwayne Allman of the Allman Brothers Band was the guitarist during the sessions that they did. He's, he's actually the one who suggested the band cover Hey Jude. And at the time, uh, Hey Jude was still on the charts. I think it was on top of the charts for like nine weeks or something. And at the time, actually, Beatles covers were relatively rare. And so Pickett was kind of hesitating whether they should do it. But he went ahead and did it. And uh, he did, they rearranged it a little bit. So it sounds a little bit different. Like we were kind of like we were saying before, they kind of did their own thing with it, but it, but it's a really good cover. Yeah, this and the one by Otis Redding yeah. are the two big, I guess, R&B covers of Beatles songs 
that I remember um, and I've actually heard before doing more research. Honestly, I know this sounds kind of bad. I like it better than the original. I don't know how, like, sacrilegious that is. No, I mean, yeah, I could dig it. I mean, they're both good, so, I mean, I don't really know which one I like better, but, yeah, I, yeah, I can see that. Cool. Uh, up next in our roster, we have the song We Can Work It Out by Stevie Wonder, originally released by the Beatles in late 1965 as a double A-side with Day Tripper. Lennon was the only one who argued that Day Tripper was actually more commercial, but the consumers preferred We Can Work It Out, and it became one of their fastest-selling singles. Yeah, I, I found it kind of, in, kind of interesting because this was actually the first time that anyone had done this, where because usually you have an A side and a B side of, uh-huh. of a single, and they actually did a double A side because they figured that both of them were A side material, I suppose. So did they did they even have a B side or was the B side blank? Well, both sides had a song. One side was Day Tripper, one was We Can Work It Out, and they were both considered the quote unquote A side, oh. meaning it was it would have had the potential to become pretty popular. Um, but that's the first time anyone had done that. So yeah, that, 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 that was kind of cool. Um, but then actually, well, well, Lennon was wrong because We Can Work It Out actually became more a lot more popular. Successful. Yeah, I th- he probably didn't like it as because I think this was this was written by Paul, mm. so maybe Lennon didn't like it as much. Yeah, they always had kind of had that feud thing going on, huh? Yeah. So the Stevie Wonder version uh, was covered in 1970 off of his album Signed, Sealed, and Delivered. Um, in 2010, I guess he performed the song at the White House for McCartney's Gershwin Prize Ceremony. The prize started in 2007 and is awarded for lifetime contributions to music. Okay. F- fun fact about the Signed Still Delivered album. Yesterday, actually, I went over to the this record store in Costa Mesa called Factory Records. It's this little hole-in-the-wall record store that has really cheap records compared to Mr. C's, and one of the records I actually picked up was Signed Still Delivered, and I got it for like 8 bucks. So, so as soon as you get a record player, you can actually listen to We Can Work It Out. Exactly. Yeah, I'm saving up for a decent one. I don't want to get some crappy hipster one that's like 40 bucks and it's going to explode as soon as I put a record on it. But yeah, so it's cool because I actually own the original 1970 album. Without further ado, let's listen to Stevie Wonder's cover of We Can Work It Out. Yeah, it's a really good version. I mean, like, because you were saying before that you like hey, uh, Wilson Pickett's Hey Jude more mm-hmm. than the original. I mean, I can see, in not not only in Stevie Wonder's case, but I think a, a fair number of these, not only ones we're talking about today, but other in the future that we have. I mean, I, there's ones that I, I could possibly say that I like more. But we might be. I, I think it's because... We're um, biased. Yeah, I think it's just, I think it's just what, what style you're into. Yeah, I agree. I mean, there's no reason not to like a cover more than, than the original, but... I love Stevie Wonder, so... Yeah, he's one of my favorite artists. So actually, for the first time in this episode, we're actually going to talk about the same song again, done by a different artist. There's another cover by Shaka Khan, who's kind of the, the queen of funk and soul. The reason I chose to play this one as well is because they're so different, because the one we just listened to by Stevie Wonder is a lot more uh, soulful, kind of, kind of in his style, but she because this was released in 1981, she was uh, definitely a lot more uh, disco-oriented. So this one's a tiny bit more, it's a little bit more upbeat, and definitely it got more of a disco sound to it. So 
it's kind of I guess it's just a different rendition of the same song, but it, I, I like this one as well. I can take it. So we go ahead and listen to Shaka Khan's version. I think we should. Okay. It's funny because I think in this show, over time, we've kind of transitioned into becoming almost solely uh, just about soul. No pun intended. Because yeah. I think we really don't talk about disco that much. Uh, we do occasionally. I, but not- I think it's more just unfortunately because there really just aren't nearly as many disco artists. It was a, it was a short-lived. Yeah. It was a short-lived genre. I mean, we talk about funk occasionally. Yeah. I think yeah, soul probably lasts the longest of anything. So. Yeah. Especially, and especially with this topic, I doubt that you know Parliament's covering Beatles, <laughs> so it's definitely more of a soul genre kind of thing. In our yeah, opinion. I think it lends itself to it that way. Because I mean, um, especially with with disco as well. I mean, that was like twenty years later, so Beatles weren't quite as popular at the time. True. Um, that was, yeah, in the eighties, didn't Paul McCartney form like Wings or some band? Yeah, I think so. That was weird. He's weird. <laughs> <laughs> A little, I guess, anecdote uh, about Shaka Khan. As I said before, I was at the uh, that record store, uh, Factory Records in Costa Mesa. And as I was leaving, they have like a $2 bin outside. And I browsed through it. Like after I purchased all my stuff and I was kind of in a hurry. And I see for $2, the album, What You Gonna Do For Me by Shaka Khan. And I was just like, no, I could have bought this. So you could have. So, so not only could you have had the, the Stevie Wonder album with this, but then you would have also had the Shaka Khan album with her version yeah. as well. Exactly. Uh, There's still time. Really, yeah, right. I go back there today. So yeah, that was a shame that I couldn't snag that. Um, but maybe it'll be there next time I go. I don't, it didn't seem like there were a lot of people in the store at the time. We encourage you listeners to go down to the store and find that album and buy it before Kyle can get it. I will kill all of you. No. <laughs> I will find you and I will kill you. I am Liam Neeson. <laughs> I also really like Shaka Khan. <laughs> what if what if like in one of Liam Neeson's future movies he plays a guy who goes around to like different parts of Europe like chasing and killing people but in his spare time he's like a uh, 70s like soul and funk DJ and then like his method of killing them is like he, he throws records at them like ninja stars I think we need to workshop this a little bit <laughs> yeah I think, we, I think we need to flesh out this idea before we uh, go into screenplay writing okay just, just a bit. You want to tell uh, us about our last song of the day, Mr. Kyle? I do. Okay. Um, our last song of, I guess, our first part installment is uh, the song Yesterday, covered by Marvin Gaye. Uh, Yesterday was originally off of the Beatles' 1965 album Help. Help. I need somebody. Help. Get not just anybody. Help. See, well, that's that. We just listened to a clip of a cover of Yesterday by Kyle. Yeah. Or I guess that was Help, not Yesterday. <laughs> Peter, come on. I guess McCartney, for the original Beatles version, McCartney came up with the tune while dreaming and woke up to play it on the piano so he wouldn't forget it. At first he was paranoid, I guess, that he uh, subconsciously plagiarized it in his sleep, but no one had ever heard it before. To date, the song has been covered over 2,200 times. Yeah. That's I was pretty impressed by that, because, I mean, pretty much all of their songs are, re- are um, covered by someone at some point, but this one... This one has to be has to be the most, right? Yeah, it's possibly yeah, the most. Wow, that's pretty crazy. That's that's impressive. They should make an album with every single cover, somehow, <laughs> or yeah. they, it would have to be like an MP3 file. 
that would actually be really that would get really annoying after a while it's like and here's yesterday by another band and here's yesterday by another band (laughs) by the end you're just like no it's like um it's like clockwork orange where like they showed the guy violent images and then made him listen to beethoven so then every time he heard beethoven he freaked he freaked out Mm-hmm. It's like the same thing, but with yesterday. <laughs> you just like every time you hear it, you just go insane. But yeah, the Marvin Gaye cover was released in January of 1970 on on his album "That's the Way Love Is," one of his more famous albums. Um, so that's without, actually the one that he did before. What's before going, what's going on. on? Yeah. Oh my gosh! So apparently, what's going on? As you, as we were because we were talking about um, other rare albums, mm-hmm. like to find what's going on in like mint condition. Is it's like oh that's probably worth a hell three thousand dollars, like crazy. Well, like, I mean it's it's not really rare though, is it? It's not super rare. It's just because it's such a sought after album because Marvin Gaye is such a popular artist to find yeah. one that like someone held on to and didn't listen to. Yeah, is oh, like bet. insanely hard. Like hey, I'm gonna buy this album by this amazing artist and I'm not gonna open it for fifty years because it'll totally go up in value. Well, because it's considered, like, the number four or five album of all time. Oh, yeah. Of music, so I can see how that's worth a lot. Yeah. So if any of you have a unopened copy of Marvin Gaye's Yesterday, send it to Kyle Storms. And (laughs) (laughs) They don't expect any money. Yeah. I'll send you love and cookies. Um, Maybe just just love. Love baked into cookies. Um, So without further ado, (laughs) let's listen to Marvin Gaye's cover of Yesterday. So this one is a good example of kind of how we were saying before about how artists put their own spin on it, I guess. Because, I mean, this is really Marvin Gaye-ized. Um, if you Marvin Gaye-ized? Shut up, Kyle. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it's just got his flavor in there, man. I don't know. Yeah, it's got the gay flavor. I love the gay flavor. <laughs> But no, in all seriousness, this definitely he put his own Marvin Gayness into. <laughs> he put his own Marvin Gayness into the song, and it definitely shows. I mean, I like, I like the Beatles version, but I think this version stands alone enough on its own that I don't even have to consider them the same song and say like I like one more than the other. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, I think with Beatles songs in general, I think after a while, if you if you heard them a number of times before. There's a chance that you get tired of them after a didn't, while. Didn't we? St- I know we discussed this before, uh, not necessarily on the show, but didn't we say that like with the Beatles, there's this weird phenomenon where like there's a point in everyone's life where they discover the Beatles, mm-hmm. and it's just like a life changing moment, and like they listen to like everything, mm-hmm. but then there's like this exponential curve of like how much you actually want to hear them as you go later in life, and it comes to the point where for a lot of people, it's just like oh, it's the Beatles, and they don't carry any musical weight anymore. Yeah, I think after you kind of get past the that, honeymoon, that, the honeymoon that, phase, that person, yeah, that personal Beatlemania, um, I think you you accept it for what it is, but you don't really because like I went through it like senior year of high school, I suppose. It was sophomore year for me. Okay, yeah. Once you get past like that stage of your personal musical taste, like you appreciate it, but like I've almost never listened to it at all. Yeah. Ever. I don't anymore. seek I don't seek them out. I don't have them on any of my playlists. Yeah. I have their covers because I like hearing other artists perform their stuff. Yeah. But it's 
I don't want to say it's like once you've heard one, you've heard them all, but it's more like once you've heard them enough, you don't want to hear them as much anymore. It's it, it's not oh, of the of the originals of the originals. There's no like yeah. there's no, there's not as much of a renewed interest. I think unless you can you, only listen to the same stuff. You know, unless you're like me and don't and don't realize that one of their most famous songs is actually one of the most famous songs. Uh, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think this is a situation where you know because they were so popular, there's so many artists of basically any genre. Even still, today you have artists that will still cover these songs. So mm-hmm. you know if you if you like the songs but you're kind of sick of the originals, I mean there's definitely more than enough um, other artists who will do them as well. Indeed. So, yes, um, that was our first installment of our three-part installment of Beatles covers by R&B soul and funk artists. Yeah. As we discussed earlier in the episode, if you like us and you want to hear more stuff outside of the things we talk about in our show, you should totally go to facebook.com slash getyourfunk. It's our Facebook page, and you should like us so you can get awesome YouTube videos and tidbits about how awesome funk and soul is. And you can see uh, James Brown giving people dirty looks. That's true. Which, that, that, that alone is reason to go. And also, basically, immediately after uh, these episodes are published, we tell people on the Facebook page pretty much immediately after they're published, so you will know as soon as possible. Indeed. When you can hear more of us. Yeah, doesn't it doesn't it take a sec to go up on like iTunes, where as opposed to if you put it yeah, like, on our page? So. See, so you subscribe to iTunes, you have to wait a couple hours, maybe a day, yeah. but if you go on our page, you can get it immediately. Yeah. Yay! And that's thanks to uh, 8thCircuit.com, 8th-C-I-R-C-U-I-T.com. They are our generous hosts, and they have many other uh, news articles and podcasts and video series as well, so definitely worth checking out if you like movies or video games and stuff like that. Indeed. Or if you like us. Which, obviously, you do. You're listening to us. Yeah, I guess if you're this far into the episode, then... Yeah. You probably like us at least a little bit. If, if you're this far into the episode and haven't like picked up your monitor and chucked it out the nearest window, then you like us. Yeah. That that happens. You've never just gotten the urge to just like throw your monitor out a window? I'm sure I have at some point, yes. <laughs> Not with listening to us. Yeah. I think we are, we are just so mad. <laughs> While listening to yourself, you're just like, no, I can't take this anymore. I can't hear myself. <laughs> <laughs> What if someone, okay, remember the whole Clockwork Orange, what if someone was made to hear their own voice while being shown disturbing images, so every time they hear themselves, they freak out and go insane. So they start screaming no, no, but every time they say no, they get even more mad? Yeah, it's just like an, yeah, it's an exponential loop of anger. That's how, that's, that's obviously how Walt Disney, you know, prepared his anger powers. You see, he made himself go insane by hearing himself say no, so he would just say no more. And then it would be this like exponential increase in power to the point that he could destroy any and all things. Well, we'll let you listeners uh, judge for yourselves how accurate that story is. <laughs> okay. We love you. Until next time, this has been your host, Peter. And this has been your host, Kyle. Thank you for listening to Folk Radio. If you like hearing about Beatles covers, like we said a couple times already, there will be uh, two episodes following this one. With more, so come back next time. Come back next week. Billy Boo Doo Doo Doo. For more podcasts and the latest news in gaming, movies, and entertainment, visit 8thCircuit.com.